I'm glad you guys are here. It's good to see you this morning. I wish that I had time to just kind of go around the room and say, so how are you this morning? What was your week like? What did you do? Um, And if I ever ask you that question on a Sunday morning, it might not be the best question ever, but I want you to know it's a very sincere question. If I ever ask you that, I really want to know the answer to that question. And if some of you are sitting there right now thinking, I really wish somebody would ask me that. Come find me after church and tell me how you're doing today, how your week's been. So last week, um, we talked about Jesus is alive and we talked about resurrection. And one of the things that we did uh, during service was to write on a note card specific areas of our life that we would like for Jesus to bring resurrection or to bring new life to. And we put those up on the stage And I've divided those out among a lot of people and just want you to know that those are being prayed for and will be being prayed for in the coming weeks. Um, But there was one thing I wanted to share with you. So we had a little girl that was here last week. I want to say she's probably third or fourth grade. And she turned in a card, and on one side of it, she just wrote this little message that just really touched me. But it just simply says... Jesus's love is more powerful than anything. And then she wrote it like it was a note to whoever was reading it, and she put love and put her name. And it just really touched me with the purity, the simplicity of her trust in Christ. And I shared that with someone this week that I knew had been struggling with depression and anxiety, and it was such a powerful thought to them, and to see it written in this little, tiny, childlike handwriting um, was really impactful to them. And I was just struck by the fact that everybody has a part in our church family, and that it doesn't matter how young you are or how old you are, you have the ability to impact, to encourage, to challenge other people in the body. And so don't ever hold back something that you feel like God is telling you to give to someone else because you don't know, the Holy Spirit knows, but you don't know the impact that you can have on that person. And I doubt that she has any idea of the impact that she had on the people that have looked at her card. So this morning, we're talking about Reformation and Interpretation, the Church and the Bible. And so I'm going to approach this with kind of two extremes brought into the mix, one being fundamentalism and one being liberalism. And I want to define what I mean by those terms because I think they have really different meanings to different people. So this morning, for our purposes in this sermon, when I say fundamentalism, I'm talking about a group of people that hold to a strict set of rules, who hold to what they believe to be the original and don't want the original meaning changed. So I'm not talking about radicalism here. I'm just talking about fundamentally sticking to the same beliefs. And then when I talk about liberalism, I'm talking about the idea that anything and everything is okay 
because how do we really know truth? Okay, so those are kind of the two extremes. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about that, but I will mention it some during the sermon. And then the other thing is that you're going to hear some of the same phrases and same questions over and over and over again this morning, and that is by design. I want you to really think through these. I want them to get cemented into your mind, and so you're going to hear a lot of repetition. So last time Brad spoke, he talked about culture in the Bible, and he brought up the idea of cultural authority and how we tend to assume the correctness of cultural authority. And he also brought up this point that our beliefs need to have biblical authority behind them. And a statement he made that really struck, stuck out to me was when cultural authority, let me see if I can speak, when cultural authority passes away in the next generation, if you based and built your belief on that, you'll be left with nothing. But biblical authority is timeless. The Roman Catholic Church took the Bible out of the hands of the people because of the belief that only trained, ordained clergy were capable of understanding scripture. Not only did Rome consider the Bible to be difficult to interpret, but it denied that the people of God possessed the spiritual ability to understand this difficult and kind of sometimes obscure book. It forbid the common people to possess and read God's word, and it persecuted those who attempted to translate the scriptures into the common language and distribute the word of God to God's people. And an example of that is William Tyndale. He was the translator of the first English New Testament, and because of his work on that, he was strangled and burned to death. Um, Furthermore, scripture derived its authority from the church, And while this meant a lot of different things, it meant that only the church possessed the authority to interpret scripture. And so what the church said scripture meant, that was its true meaning. But the Reformation was all about returning scripture to the hands of God's people and letting the Holy Spirit teach and letting the Holy Spirit bring truth to the people. Author Jeffrey E. Ramey said it this way, Who decides what is right and wrong in the world? Who has the authority to define morality for all of creation? It is not the courts, Congress, the media, public opinion, the politically correct police, the tolerance brigade, or even the church. The only answer has been, is, and always will be Jesus Christ. See, where Brad in his last sermon addressed cultural authority And he brought in the fact that in our postmodern thinking that that also a lot of times is the authority of me, of the individual. Today we're going to explore the authority of the church. And while it seems more spiritual to allow the church to be our authority, we'll see that like culture, it's still an authority that changes. And it can still be said that if we base and build our belief on it, we'll be left with nothing. Because only the authority of the Bible will last. And so I want to start by sharing my experience with the church that I grew up in. And so I first want to say that the church I grew up with, that I grew up in, is I loved the people that I went to church with. They're people that love Jesus, 
and it taught me to love Jesus and to love the Bible and to memorize scripture. They taught me the importance of studying the Bible with people and sharing the gospel with them. They taught me to give. They taught me to be generous. They taught me to be committed and consistent and faithful. And I owe a lot of the foundation of my faith to the people in this church. And as I share this morning, I'm going to share some of the more... um, negative things about that belief system, but I don't want you to at all get the idea that I am in any way disparaging or slamming um, these people. However, I do want to share the approach to building beliefs and reading scripture that was passed down to me and how that relates to our topic today. So in general, this church is known for its rigid, narrow definitions of what it means to be a Christian and how we do church. The Bible is read to prove what's already believed rather than to ask, what should I believe? So questioning is not a part of reading. Deep thinking is not a part of reading scripture. It's a very safe belief system in that it's always encouraged to take the better be safe than sorry approach to how we live out our Christian lives. And that sounds okay, like that sounds kind of right, but the problem is Jesus didn't live that way. When you read the scripture, you don't see Jesus taking this, oh, I I better be safe here. You don't look at Paul and Peter and the apostles and think they lived safe lives. No, they were passionate and they took risks for the gospel. They weren't worried about dotting their religious I's and crossing their religious T's. Now, they also weren't reckless with the gospel. Don't hear me say that. But they didn't play it safe. They didn't have to because they had Jesus. The irony of this safe belief system is that in general, people that are part of this church are very insecure in their salvation. It's the once saved, barely saved belief. And my salvation very much depends on me and my works and my rightness. And because of my conscientious personality and my need to be right, this approach made perfect sense to me. Like, I fit right in with that. However, it left me with some meanings about Scripture that I still have to constantly be aware of in order to get what the Scripture truly means. So let me give you a couple examples. One is from Hebrews 10, 24, and 25. And it reads, And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. I did not read this scripture and ask, What does this tell me about the character of God? Or, what does this tell me about what is important to God in regard to his church? I read this not through the lens of Jesus, but through the lens of my church. And so through that lens, this scripture meant you should be at church every time the doors are open, and this is the biggest indicator of spiritual health and commitment. Now, you know me well enough to know that I believe being with the community is important. So I am not saying here in any way that it's not important to be present when the community meets. But is it the end-all be-all? Of course not. 
Is it a good indicator of anything about our commitment to Jesus? Maybe a tiny bit, but not a whole lot. You can show up when the community's together and not have a relationship with God at all. So if showing up is the only thing I do, that's not saying much, but that was used as the big indicator. And see, the sad thing about that is I totally missed the beauty of the rest of the scripture around this, where it talks about spurring one another on to love and good deeds, and it talks about encouraging one another. All I had to do was show up, which is harder, which is better. See, I missed that because of the way that I looked at that scripture through my church instead of through Jesus. Another example is Ephesians 4, 5. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Again, I did not ask the question, what does this tell me about the heart of God? I did not ask the question, what does this look like if we apply it to to our church? I saw this as what my church told me it meant, which there is one church, we are it, because we do things exactly like the church in the New Testament did. That was our qualification. And many of these churches have a sign on their building that says, established in Jerusalem, A.D. 33, because they consider themselves the true church that was established on the day of Pentecost. Let me be clear. This meant there is one church and one church only. How ironic that this scripture that is about unity would be used to divide us from everyone else. Our mantra was, we stay silent where the Bible is silent and speak only where the Bible speaks. Again, that sounds good. That sounds right. But reading scripture this way leaves no room for questioning. And if there is no questioning, there is no deep thinking. No room for disagreement. No room for change or growth. No room for unity. See, the problem with this mantra is it's impossible to do. There are too many principles in the Bible where we're left to figure out how to apply them. So we take this rigid view of the Bible and we wind up with these really weird applications. And so, for example, the Bible doesn't ever mention having a church building. It doesn't mention having a ministry staff. It does mention lifting up holy hands, but we're not comfortable with that, so that one doesn't apply. Um, It says that women should wear a head covering, but we're not going to do that because that wouldn't fly in this day and age. But it does say women should be silent. We are going to hold on to that one. See, it just creates these really strange applications How is the Bible living and active if we can never change the way we do something? And if we can't do anything apart from what's mentioned in the New Testament, strange beliefs are formed when you approach Scripture this way. So fast forward to when we started the Northeast Church in Garland. 
This was the first time that church, that Kurt or I, either one, had attended a church that was not the church we grew up in, one of the churches that we grew up in, I should say. The idea of reading the Bible through the lens of Jesus was absolutely eye-opening and staggering. We had to start looking at why we had always done church the way we had, and if these changes we were making as we came out of one church and started another were okay with God. We had to think about hard things. We had to think about painful things. We had to have painful conversations with our families. And I was not a deep thinker, and I had not learned how to think. And Ronnie would ask me questions like, why do you believe that? And I would be like, what do you mean? I believe that because that's what the Bible says, obviously. And then he would be like, does it? Is that what it says? Brandon and Focus have challenged me so much over the years in this area because asking hard questions and thinking through belief systems is the norm. It's why I love pizza theology. It is rare that I miss pizza theology because it challenges me in the way that I think. And at first, I didn't like it. It was painful, it was hard, it was scary, and sometimes, guys, it still is. But as I've learned to question as I read the Bible, I've learned to appreciate hard questions and hard topics. And I've learned who my God is. I've learned what he cares about. I've learned not just a list of rigid rules that I have to keep to risk not being saved. I've learned to have security in my salvation. And so the the next time that I can remember being really unsettled about the church is when we started Denton North. And some of the topics that we've tackled and some of the things that we've done differently than we did at the Northeast Church. But here's the difference. The difference is at the Northeast Church, I was taught to read the Bible and ask God, what do you want for your church? And what do you want for our specific group that meets in Denton? And is this okay with you? And so even though there was some discomfort, it was a totally different experience dealing with that discomfort than it was when we moved from the church that I grew up with to the Northeast Church. So I want to share with you real quick three lessons that I've learned through my journey that I think can help us to seek to build beliefs through the right reading of Scripture. The first one is we must be humble while believing and acting on the authority of the Bible. We must be humble while believing and acting on the authority of the Bible. In my church background, we believed in biblical authority, but very much as defined by our church, and it was rigid. There was no room for maybe we got that wrong. There was no room for questioning. There was no room for anyone who believed differently. So one thing I had to learn was humility. I do not know everything. I can still learn more at any point in my walk. I do not hold the market on correct interpretation. I can be wrong and God can handle that. But as Brad and I talked about this, we came to the conclusion that today most people are on the opposite side of that pendulum. 
because today most people think they're not capable of being right. Most people think that we cannot have strong beliefs because we could be wrong. We question whether or not it's possible to know for sure what God wants. So we can't stand firm in any of our beliefs and we accept anything and everything. We don't question our faith much. We don't ask questions when we read scripture. Therefore, we don't build solid beliefs. But guys, John 16, 13 tells us when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. And John 8, 31 and 32 says, to the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. See, Jesus tells us that we can know the truth of scripture. It's interesting that these two approaches are so opposite of one another, and yet they have this common link. Neither have to question their faith much. Both have an element of laziness to them. Both have the comfort of not questioning difficult things. But if we don't question, we don't open up room to hear God's answer. And when we don't ask questions of the scripture, how do we interact meaningfully with God or with other people? We need to ask questions. We need to study. We need to engage with converse, in conversation with people who see things differently than we do. And we need to believe that if we are seeking God and we get off track, he will correct us. He does it all the time. He's done it with me over and over and over again. How else would you explain me growing up in a church that believes in doing things exactly like they did in the New Testament and standing here before you today? See, God knew my desire was to please him, and he brought me each step of the way to where he wanted me to be. Not that I've got it all down, not that I've arrived, but he's teaching me. And we have to believe that God gave us authority through the word for the things he wants us to do and the way he wants us to live. We've got to know what our scriptural authority is. And so Acts 5, 27 through 42 is a good example of this. The apostles were brought in and made to appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, he said, yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than human beings. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on a cross. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior that we might bring Israel to that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. We are witnesses of those things and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this they were furious and wanted to put them to death. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law who was honored by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered that the men be put outside for a little while. Then he addressed the Sanhedrin, men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. 
Some time ago, Theodos appeared, claiming to be somebody, and about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed, all his followers dispersed, and it all came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean appeared in the days of the census and led a band of people in revolt. He too was killed, and all his followers were scattered. Therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. His speech persuaded them. They called the apostles in and had them flogged. Then they ordered him, them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Day after day, in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. See, in verse 29, Peter said, we must obey God rather than human beings. The apostles had a strong sense of purpose and mission, and that was given to them from God. Outside pressures tried to stop them from their mission. Guys, that happens in our church today. We should own a building. We should vote a particular way. We should have ministries for kids, for teens, for singles, for married, for young, for old, for prostitutes, for the poor, for addictions recovery, for divorce recovery, for grief, grief recovery. Our praise and worship should be professional, large, entertaining, moving, contemporary, traditional, celebratory, reflective. And the list goes on and on. See, most of these things have value and they're not necessarily bad things. But all of them have the potential to derail us from the mission and purpose of living out and sharing the gospel. And the apostles were so sure of their mission and purpose that they endured flogging and then went right back out and it did exactly what God told them to do and what the religious leaders warned them not to do, to proclaim the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. Do you think they had asked hard questions of their faith? Did they know they were doing, why they were doing what they were doing? Do you think they believed in the authority of Jesus and God the Father? It's obvious that the apostles in this story had authority. Why would they risk being flogged again? Why would they risk prison? Why would they put their families in danger? They knew the authority they had been given. Jesus tells us in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, that all authority in heaven on earth has been given to him. Therefore, go. He is giving us his authority to go and make disciples. That's biblical authority. The same authority the apostles were so confident in. And we have that same authority today. But just like the apostles, we have to look to Jesus. We have to look to scripture to find it. We must be humble while believing and acting on the authority of the Bible. Second lesson Who are we trying to please? 
It's our responsibility to know the word and its authority and to please Christ alone. J.I. Packer says it like this, We approach scripture with minds already formed by the mass of accepted opinions and viewpoints with which we have come into contact in both the church and the world. It is easy to be unaware that it has happened. It is hard even to begin to realize how profoundly tradition in this sense has molded us. See, I can't even describe to you how I came to believe the things I did about the Bible. It's not like the church sat me down and said, here is what you should believe about this. Although certainly there were some specific lessons that were taught. But more than anything, it was just passed down. And the people who passed it down weren't evil people. They tried their best to understand, and they helped me learn a lot. But I cannot rely on other people to tell me what the word means. I have to read and study that for myself. I need to rely on and trust the Spirit to teach me. And I was totally unaware of it until God put people in my life that asked me questions like, why do you believe that? Who told you that? Where do you see that in Scripture? Acts 17, 11 says, Now the Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. Guys, one thing I want you to see here is there is no indication of suspicion or mistrust in this scripture. Rather, it indicates they were seeking to understand They were verifying the truth of the teaching they were receiving, and they were making it their own. They were asking questions. They were reading for themselves. They were letting the Holy Spirit guide them to all truths. When the reformers gave the Bible back to the people, what a gift we were given. But we're in danger of squandering that gift. Let me ask you a question, and I do not want you to answer out loud. I don't want you to raise your hand. But did you read Galatians 1 and Acts 5 for today? And reading it in church together last Sunday does not count. If you didn't, why didn't you? Did you just assume that Brad or I would read it to you and tell you what it means? Sermons, books, small groups, etc., cannot be the substitute for reading scripture and thinking about it yourself. What the church tells you and the sermons you hear should be the springboard to thinking about scripture, not the substitute. We have the Bible in a bazillion different languages and translations, and yet we spend very little time reading it and asking questions of our God and about our God. Scripture speaks into any and every environment. It is living and active. It is our authority to live the way we live. It is our window into the heart and character of our God. And we should be interacting with it and we should be seeking truth. Galatians 1, 1 through 10. Paul, an apostle, sent not from men nor by a man, by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers and sisters with me. To the churches in Galatia, 
Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you so quickly deserted the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. As we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. See, in this passage here, Paul is absolutely astonished that the people are unwilling to define verbally what they know is right in the face of oppression, regardless of the consequences they would face. Like, he's just astonished at their lack of conviction and astonished in particular about their lack of conviction about the truths of Jesus. Do you hold strong truths and convictions about Jesus? If not, why not? Can you explain why you believe what you believe and why you live like you live? If you can't, you don't have strong convictions. Paul asked the question, am I trying to please God or people? And that begs the question of us, who am I trying to please? Am I trying to please my parents, my church? Am I trying to please my God? Am I trying to please myself? Who? See, to be saved by grace is to be saved by Christ. You're not saved by some pastor's idea. You're not saved by the doctrine espoused by some church, seminary, book, whatever. You're not saved by a creed or how hard you work or what church or ministry you belong to. You are saved by Jesus alone. Who are you trying to please? Third lesson. We must read and ask questions of scriptures and of ourselves. One of the questions I always have to ask myself is, what do I already believe about this scripture? Because I, maybe because I'm quite a bit older than you, I'm not sure, but I have a lot of beliefs that I don't even sometimes know I have when it comes to reading scripture. And so the first place I have to start is, what is it I already believe about this? And then why do I believe that? Who told me that? Is it true? Not in a suspicious, disrespectful way, but in an evaluative way with the belief that the Holy Spirit lives in me and will guide me into truth. I'm not in any way, shape, or form telling you to discard what your church, your pastor, your corfa, your parents, your mentors say. Not at all. The Bible speaks to seeking wise counsel and to being taught by other people. I'm just saying that's not your benchmark. Jesus is your benchmark. And it doesn't absolve you 
of figuring things out and thinking things through for yourself. So here are some questions I want to ask to help you apply this. These are questions that I think you need to ask when you read scripture and that I think you need to ask about your beliefs. One is, why do you do what you do and why do you live like you live? The second one is, do you just follow along with what we do at Denton North or whatever church you're attending without asking why church matters to God and what a biblical church looks like? Would you even be able to recognize if a church wasn't biblical? Third, do you know why we do things the way we do them specifically in our church family, in the Denton North Church? Fourth, do you know the core daily work that God has given to the church at large, like to the big church, like all over the world? Do you know the core daily work he's given us? And do you know the one another passages? And do you practice them? And then number five, are you busy working hard and focus at Denton North Church, in your workplace, volunteering, but have never questioned why? You've never questioned, why am I working this hard? Like, why am I doing the things that I'm doing? Why is this important? In our small group on Tuesday nights, we've been listening to a podcast called Why Church Matters. And we've been asking some of these questions that I just gave to you. And I've asked Josh Robinson and Cassandra Lopez if they'll come and just briefly share with you something that they're learning or some question that they're thinking through um, based on some of our conversations about that. Because I kind of want you to hear what it looks like um, to question and to learn about these things. So Cassandra, do you want to come up first? Question three was, do you know why we do things the way we do them at Denton North Church? Hopefully y'all don't hear my heart pounding through this microphone. <laughs> we can hear you above that. Okay. <laughs> um, gosh. Um, attending this small group has, like, really just taught me a lot of why church matters and, like, why I even come to church. Um, I mean, it's just something that I feel like we lack questioning whenever, I mean, it's just something that we do every Sunday, right? So I think something that I took away the most was learning how um, this concept of uh, koinonia, and it's like means fellowship and sharing, it's the Greek word for that, and also of charis, which means grace in the Greek word. Um, and just learning how God has has bound himself through us when we accept uh, when we accept him and wanting uh, he wanted to share his character and life with us so why is it just so hard for us to share life with each other here and I think um, that was just like really hard for me to think through because I was just like yeah like we and it even mentions in the podcast like we are learning this concept of sharing and that is something that we've been trying to learn ever since like kindergarten and we are still, like, learning how to share things with each other. Um, and that's why I think that church matters, because we learn how to share life with each other, and we learn how to share a resource with each other. And, be, and Leslie talked a lot about unity, and because we are unified through Christ, we um, 
can also know like things that are going on in other churches and, and share life with them as well and share our resources and our time with other churches that have a need and we can see that need and fulfill that need. Thank you. That's it. Thanks for sharing. Josh. Um, one of the things that we talked about at the very beginning of Watch Church Matters is we kind of like re-examined a passage I think we're all pretty familiar with. I think I like, it was read at the first focus I ever went to, but it's Acts 42, uh, Acts 2.42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers. All came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings, distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God, having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. And we've been reading that a lot, picking it apart, but one of the things that, a question we've been asking pretty consistently has brought up a lot of really good discussion is the beginning part. It's like they devoted themselves to, and then it's a long list of a lot of things, but it starts with that. And so one question we've talked a lot about in our group is, what are we devoted to, not just on paper? Like, we love that passage. We love that passage, right? We read it every year, over and over. It's great, though. It's, a, it's an awesome blueprint for a church, and it's, it shows that it's working. It's, it's a very simple layout. It's not talking about a building. It's not talking about how they, what their liturgy order was or anything like that. But if someone was a fly on the wall and watched one or two of our church services or one or two of our small groups, what would they say we're devoted to? Would they say, like, they're really devoted to the hanging out part, but scripture and the teachings, not so much? Um, and that's really hard. That's interesting, I think. And it has been causing a lot of discussion where we've talked about, like, yeah, there's some things we are really good at. We can see ourselves in this scripture. But there's other things that we would, would miss. We maybe think we're great at, but if someone was just to fly on the wall, was not part of our community at all, they might notice very quickly that there's some, some things we're missing out on. So what's really cool about that is this, this passage, despite being not easy, is very simple. Um, the things that we are called to, the examples we're given of how church should be is simple, whether it's easy or not. Um, and we can kind of make a pretty solid case for what things we should really be spending time really trying to work on and improve in our community, and what things aren't, aren't don't fit into that. So um, I've been really encouraged by those discussions. It's been really, really cool. So. Thanks. Yeah, so definitely thinking through why we do church the way we do church is not the only thing we need to do, but it's one that Brad and I both have noticed um, that a lot of people don't spend a lot of time thinking about and questioning. And definitely not from any perspective of, oh gosh, I feel like we're doing this all wrong and everything, but just from the perspective of, I want to be able to know what authority I have from the Bible for worshiping the way I worship, for living the way I live. And from that perspective, I think asking these questions are really, really important. And we've really enjoyed doing that in our small group. We've had some great discussions, and I feel like we've grown a lot um, in what our role in the church is. So in conclusion, John 5, 39 says, 
You study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. They are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. See, the focal point of scripture is to find God and Jesus, to know them more. God wants us to love him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And I believe he wants us to approach scripture the same way. He wants all of us, not just our intellect, not just our mind. We need to look for him and for what pleases him. And we do that by asking questions and giving him room to answer. We do that by believing in biblical authority and seeking it out and holding strong convictions about the things Jesus held strong convictions about. And may we ever seek to please God and appreciate the depth of his grace and pursue truth with a passion and heart for him alone. Who are you trying to please? And so I want to encourage you, in a sermon like this, it's very easy to say something that is taken out of context or misunderstood. So if I said anything this morning that left you uncomfortable or left you going, oh, I don't know about that, feel free to come and ask me about that. We can talk about that some more. Um, And I can clarify some things for you that maybe you misunderstood. Um, But don't just sit back and have thoughts about it and not express those and ask your questions. And then I would also encourage you just to talk with each other this week about what some of your takeaways were from this morning and what um, questions that you might still have and what things you became aware of. But talk about that this week. I want to go back to Galatians 1, 3 through 5. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of God our Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. As we remember and celebrate Jesus this morning, I want you to ask yourself the question, what did he rescue me from? What did he rescue me from? And I'm going to say a prayer for us. And as we take communion Share your answer to that with someone that's standing in line with you or someone that's sitting by you. But what did he rescue me from? Let's pray together. God, I thank you for your word. And I thank you for your Holy Spirit that promises to lead us into all truth. God, I pray that we will live lives of conviction that we will be convicted about the things Jesus is convicted about and the things that um, he gave us latitude on, God, that we'll do the best we can do to figure out what will please you and we'll go and do that thing. Um, God, I just pray that we would ask questions of you and ask questions of your word, and I pray that we would listen for your answers. I pray, God, that we would not live life in a way that's outside of what you've told us is good and right and represents you well. And I pray that we wouldn't avoid uh, doing things out of fear, Lord. I pray that we'll have security in our salvation. And I pray that we'll seek out your will with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the gospel. We thank you for the good news. We thank you for our salvation. We thank you, God, that we've been rescued. 
And I pray that you'll remind us this morning what we've been rescued from and that we can remember and celebrate the gift of Jesus as we take communion together today. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us for our sermon podcast. We would love for you to join us on Sunday morning or in one of our small groups during the week. And you can get more information about that at DentonNorthChurch.com.